I am excited to be here. Man, I, uh, we, we were gone for two weeks. That's the longest we've ever been gone. Uh, we've, I think maybe one other time we, did, we missed two Sundays. But uh, being gone for two Sundays, we really missed being here. We, we missed it as a family. Uh, there is something really special about our church. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, I think maybe we, even as a family and as the pastor here, may, may have been taking it for granted. And I, I just hope, I hope that maybe some of my, uh, some of my renewed excitement for, for our church will rub off on us this morning. And uh, you'll feel again, maybe a little bit excited if you were feeling burnout or bored or whatever you may have been feeling about the church. And, you know, I just pray that, uh, that you're excited I'm excited. I hope you're ready. Um, I just, as we made as we made this trip, and we kind of got to experience our country and go go through the Bible Belt and experience a lot of Christianity in the Bible Belt and lots of really good things, really good people. But I just, as you know, you, you do a lot of reflecting when you're in a different culture, when you're in a different environment, and and you notice things about that culture, but it also helps you. Uh, see things in a different light about your culture and your environment. And I don't, I, I, I believe now more than ever what we're doing, what we're, what we're aimed at as a church and, and, uh, and making disciples and, and just being sold out and solely committed at becoming like Christ. Uh, I believe more, more than ever that this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I don't, I don't just believe that it's what we're supposed to be doing. I believe it's something that God is going to use mightily um, in, in our community and changing, changing really the, the, uh, the air that we breathe, the atmosphere that we're surrounded by. I, I, have this, I just kind of have this really deep sense of belief that God is starting something uh, here at our church and, and not just our church, other churches in the area and, and other churches across the country um, that, that we're kind of getting back to our roots of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're, we're jettisoning, jettisoning all the stuff that I don't think was ever supposed to be there and getting, getting to the core of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I'm really excited about it. I think we're going to see a lot of great, miraculous, amazing things in our church in the coming months and years. I think we're going to see people... Uh, experience things that that, uh, that that the only explanation could be that God moved uh, in their life, in their body, and their and forms of healing, and and forms of intervention, and forms of of bringing and drawing people who are far far from Christ and having radical encounters with Christ here at our church and experiencing Him for the first time and and finding Him and knowing Him. I just I firmly believe. That what we're headed for is going to be uh, just just a, a, an eye-opening experience, of what God is going to do uh, through our through our church, as we faithfully uh, commit ourselves to following Him day in day out, becoming more like Him day in day out. The only possible outcome is that more people experience Jesus. So, it's exciting. I'm excited. I don't know if you're excited. Everyone kind of sounds like they're asleep. So uh, we got to work up our excitement a little bit this morning. So. Hope you'll join me sometime soon. We missed you guys. We really did. We, we missed everyone, and, and there's a few people not here this morning. We missed them too. If you're not here this morning and you're watching the video, we miss you. If you're watching the video, just come on down in your pajamas. We'd be happy to have you. 
But uh, today, as we're, uh, as we're uh, continuing on, we're going to take a turn. Before we do that, one quick announcement. We're doing, instead of our summer snacks like we used to do uh, the, last, the last few summers, we're doing going to a restaurant. So if you would like to join us today, we're going to be at the round table and just go to the round table for lunch after church. We'd love to have you out there. And then the softball team is playing today. We are going to go out to the game. That's one of the things we're planning on. Our kids, 4.30 and 5.45. So um, our kids go to youth group and Awana at Yakult Church, and that's one of the guys that you're playing today. So we're going to go out and root for our team. <laughs> and fully expect you guys to embarrass them and give us something to kind of righteously rub in to them. You know, but uh, no, just it's going to be fun. So we'd love to have you. Uh, love to have you out there um, to support the team, and we'll be out there. Nice weather, perfect weather. That's what man. Do not take our weather for granted. Because we were in the Midwest, in Ohio, where it was 90 plus degrees with like 90% humidity. And it is the worst feeling I can imagine. Like, and I kept, my dad says this, and I, I adopted the phrase, I don't know why anyone wants to live here. Why would anyone want to live here? It's just, it's just, a, you mean you get... You just, you wake up, you, know, you might take a shower at night and, and, and kind of feel fresh for about a second, and then you wake up, you're just greasy, and you're just greasy all the time because you're just sweating. It's just kind of this constant, nothing ever evaporates. You never dry off. So we have, we live, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm convinced that revival is going to break out here because we have the best part of the country for it to happen. You know, people want to be here. But, uh, oh, so... Uh, Today we're, taking a, we're, we're making a shift, making a turn. The first half of the series up until now, we've been looking at the character of Jesus. We've been looking at you know, kind of the, the attributes that make Jesus who he was. Today we're going to look at some of the habits, start looking at, we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at some of the habits of Jesus. So we don't just, we don't just want to adopt the, the character traits of Jesus, but we also want to adopt the habits of Jesus. And I think what we'll discover is that it's a combination of both the character and, and the habits that made Jesus who he was. And, and you cannot have one without the other. We would like to, we would like to just have Jesus you know, you know, hit the microwave button and fix everything about us that we don't like and resolve all the issues about our, our lives and, and our ambitions and our motivations and desires and all that stuff. But I think it is through this next process, the process of the habits that Jesus lived out throughout his life, that, that he was the person that he was. So you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have, you cannot have a good character without the right habits. And so we're going to look at that. But before we do, let's... Uh, Let's dig into this. Who is the most prestigious person you can think of? Besides me. Besides me. Prestigious, biggest name. I mean, what are, what are some of the names that, when you think of a prestigious person? Yeah, well-known. Billy Graham. He's dead, though, so it doesn't really count anymore. I guess he's not really dead. He's alive. 
Who else? Like our world today, what, what would, who would be some of the people that you think have prestige? Not, not just the Christian world, but Queen Elizabeth. Okay, yeah, that's a good example. Someone, someone you'd be kind of odd to be in their presence because she's a queen. And we don't have very many of those anymore. Okay, John Hagee. Yeah. <laughs> LeBron James, there we go. Yeah, he's, he's prestigious in his own way. A sprint guy? <laughs> Flow. Yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, so um, let's go with LeBron James for the moment. I mean, what are the chances, Shad, that you'll ever meet LeBron James? Very slim. Very slim, yeah. I, I would argue that some of the most prestigious people in our current moment are Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're not the, they're not the top of the list, but, you know, they're pretty high up there. And, uh, and we, we because, because we're just such cool people, when we, when we were going the southern route, we're like, you know, it's, this is probably the closest we'll ever get to going to Waco. And so we decided it would be foolish for us not to go. I mean, I don't know, has any, anybody watched Fixer Up or any Fixer Upper fans? Yeah, at least a few. So... Um, you know, we were, we were going to be close, and, and you may not know this about me, but I, I, I'm a fan of Chip. You know, I think he's, if I could be anybody that's not me, I might be Chip. He might be one of the guys that, like, he's just kind of got the kind of personality that I like. He's kind of funny, you know, goofy, but still seems to be able to maintain some humility in the process. And so I was convinced, even before we left, when I knew we were going to Waco, to uh, the, going to go see the silos and magnolia and all this stuff. I was sure, I was optimistic that we were going to meet them. I, I, I was just convinced that, that we were going to get to meet them there. And so I was, and I, and I thought, well, I'm just going to be optimistic and say that this, was, this would be our, our opportunity to meet Chip and Joanna Gaines. And, and you know, and, and they, were going to, they were going to see us at their place. Um, because we all wore our 6'8 shirts, do we have a picture there, Timely? I hope. Yeah. So, so we had, uh, Becky and I wore our shirts, we had the kids wear their shirts, so we represented 6'8 while we were there at the silos. And I thought, well, they'll see us with our matching shirts, and, and they'll just say, you know what, you should, you should come on over to the house for dinner, right? You should come hang out for a little while. Yeah, and it's like 6A church, you know, I got to talk to, you could just see Chip saying, I got to talk to these guys in this, these church shirts. What, what is 6A church? What is that? What does that mean? I need to know more about it. So I just kind of just had the feeling like we were going to get to meet them in person and say hi. And not only that, but that once, once I got to talk to Chip a little bit, you know, we'd become friends. You know, we'd just kind of hit it off and, and uh, we'd be buddy-buddy we'd be after that. Because, you know, he really needs, he probably really needs a, a pastor 
who, who he, can, he can call a friend and doesn't really want anything from him. He just, you know, just wants a, a pastor that he can bounce ideas off of and see you know, when he writes his next book, if this is really what the Bible teaches. You know, so he's probably looking for that kind of guy, you know, and I'd be happy to fill that role for him. So if he's watching this right now on Facebook, Chip... <laughs> But, but I, I would say they're essentially royalty, our, kind, you know, our version of royalty. They, they are royalty in our culture. And when it, comes to, when it comes to what we have as far as royalty, I think probably our, our stars, our actors and actresses and people who, who have the biggest followings are probably the closest thing we have to royalty. Politicians... They're royalty among the people who follow them, but, but not really to a broad group of people. But I would say Joanna is almost like the new Oprah, that people want to know what Joanna thinks and what she endorses and all of that stuff. And if we're being honest, if we're being honest, I would have gone through quite a bit to be able to sit down and have lunch with Chip. I mean, I would have waited in line for a long time, or I would, have, I would have maybe even been willing to pay a certain amount of money just for the opportunity to have lunch with Chip and Joanna. And, and, and maybe just while we're sitting there eating and sharing a meal together, he'd want to be my friend. I know I sound ridiculous, but I don't really feel this way about anyone else. I'm not, I'm not like a fanboy. It's not, usually, it's not part of my nature. And so this was, this was me kind of putting myself out there, saying, I'm going I'm to be a fanboy and just see what happens. And nothing happened. Didn't meet, didn't meet anybody interesting at Waco. Didn't even get to see Clint. I mean, we went to his workshop, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell me where his secret workshop is. I asked. I probably sounded like that. Where you want to you want to stalk Clint? Why? I I like to do woodworking. I'd like to see a shop. Ask him a couple questions. <clears throat> Get him to brand my arm. <laughs> but uh, you know, what if what if I had been able to talk to Chip? What if I had been able to, what if I had actually been able to sit down with Chip for a meal, and what if we actually did become friends? What might that look like if Chip Gaines and I actually became, became friends? And what if we actually, we got to the point where we were hanging out every, every morning and eating ham sandwiches together? That's what he likes, right? That's a ham sandwich. And what if... What if we, we hung out so much that we actually started to pick up one another's habits? Like, like I picked up some of Chip's habits, and he picked up some of my habits. He picked up how I thought, and I picked up how he thought. You know, I would probably start using the word sure a lot more often. If you haven't watched the show, he uses the word sure a lot. Sure, 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 sure. That's just like his go-to word. I'd probably, I'd probably start longing for demo day. I'd be real excited about just tearing something up and, and, and breaking down walls. And I might even start just, just have my heart you know, softened and want to start bringing home stray animals and just, just fill our little five-acre farm with all these stray animals. You know, if I, if I started hanging out with Chip every day, eating a ham sandwich every day, we'd probably start to adopt some of one another's 
ways of thinking, living mannerisms, all of those things. We'd start to become similar, right? And I think, I think if we're all being honest, we all probably have somebody like that. It may not be, may not be a TV celebrity, but we all probably have somebody we would like to meet. And we'd probably go through a lot to be able to meet this person in person, right? We would be willing to go to some form of extreme to meet this person face-to-face and spend some time with this person. What would you be willing to do to meet your hero? Do you have a hero? Do you have someone that you just long to meet? What would you be willing to do just for the chance to meet them once in person, to shake their hand and get their autograph or whatever it is you do when you meet a famous person. What if, what if you didn't just get to meet them? What would you be willing to do if you had the chance to be their friend for the day? Like you got a one 24-hour period where you could just be this person's friend and they would treat you like a friend. What would you, what would you be willing to do to spend time with your hero for one day and be treated like their friend? I think if we're being honest, we'd probably be willing to go to, to some great length if we could have that opportunity. There's at least somebody in our mind that we have put on that kind of pedestal that we'd like to spend that kind of time with. Maybe, maybe not you, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm the only one that, that thinks that way about anyone. But, but I have a feeling we probably have someone like that. Okay, so... What does any of this have to do with prayer? Let's stop for a minute and let's write out our, our stuff. All right, today is July 7th. Our big idea is Jesus desires identity, authority, an activity originated in and were supported by his prayer life. I'll give you a second to write that down. Okay, our identity statement. When I know who I am, I know what to do. I know who I am by knowing my creator. I know my creator through prayer. It's not a real sticky statement, but it builds in the right way. So I'll give you a second to write that down. When I know who I am, I know what to do. I know who I am by knowing my creator.
I know my creator through prayer. And then we'll put up on the, uh, ask Timely to put up on the screen the, uh, the key verses for you to write down. And while you're writing those down, I'll talk for a minute or two. When it comes to our understanding of prayer, I think we've, we've kind of missed it a lot, where we've, we've kind of uh, diluted prayer to be this moment where, where we ask God to give us what we want. And that's about all we use prayer for. It is talking, talking to God, going to God, and treating him, as I've said before, as our genie in the sky to, to meet our, our list of demands and expectations of him. And when he doesn't answer our prayers as we would like him to, then we start to get mad at God and blame God and get frustrated with God because he's not giving us what, he, what we want, and that's the whole point of prayer. And I think this idea of prayer is actually is fairly new. It hasn't existed in the church for a long time. And, and what we want to get back to as a church is, is what prayer was with Jesus. I don't think the point of prayer is getting what we want. I think the point of prayer is communion with God. And this is how, as we go out uh, through the course of the coming week, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see how he prayed and all of the devotionals for this week are going to be looking at how Jesus prayed and, and some of the uh, motivation behind why he was praying the way he was praying in this situation that he was praying. So as, as we see in the life of Jesus, we're going to look this week, the point of prayer, I think, is communion with God. And that is how Jesus prayed. He prayed in communion and relationship with the Father. And this is what it's supposed to be for us, and this is how we were designed to live. We were designed to live in communion with the Father. We weren't, we weren't designed to, to just ask God to give us the free stuff. We were designed to live in relationship with the Father. This is the original design, not just, not just union where we are one with God, but actually communion, communion with union, with Christ, with God in union, in relationship with God. This is what he wanted in, in the garden with Adam and Eve. He wanted to walk with us in the cool of the day, to, to just live in and among us and, and be our God. And this is what the whole story of the Bible is leading us towards, where, where one day God will dwell amongst his people, and we will be his people, and he will be our God. This is a the theme throughout all of Scripture that, that everything has originated with and everything is leading towards. God wants to live in communion with his people. Can you imagine what your life would look like if you longed to be with God as much as you longed to know your hero? What would your life look like if you longed to know God, to be with God, to have relationship with God as much as you longed to know your hero? Maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe you don't want to meet any famous people and maybe you don't really care. It's not a big thing to you. It's not really that big of a thing to me either. But what is that thing that you want most? Maybe there's something that you want. What if that thing that you wanted, what if you wanted to know God as much as you wanted that thing? What if you wanted to know God as much as you wanted 
this thing in your life. Maybe you feel like something is missing from your life, and if you just had this thing, everything would be right, everything would work like it's supposed to. Well, what if you wanted God that way? What if you wanted relationship with God that way? And as you, as you sought him, you realized that that was what you needed most. What would your life look like? Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 Right before Jesus gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, he says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How do you pray? A lot of my prayer life over the, over the years has been just asking God to give me what I want. That's been, I'm just honestly telling you, that's just been, I really want something and I beg God for it. And I think we could even justify it from scripture, even some that we might look at today that, that uh, and this over the course of this week, that I think there are times when, when we beg God for something that we really want, that he gives it to us, even if it's not what's best for us. And I could attest to that in my own life. But what if, we, what if we changed our perspective on prayer? What if we stopped seeing prayer as, 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 a, as a way to get things from God? And what if we started seeing it as this crucial connection with the God of the universe? And I, I really hope as we go throughout the course of this week, we can start to get some of that back. We're, we're, we're praying for communion. We're, we're praying to know God. We're praying to be known by God. We're, we're praying to, to let God speak to us and, and to teach us and to reveal to us his higher ways and his higher purposes. And it all starts, just like it started with Jesus' heart, his motives his motives were pure, as we talked about at the beginning of the series. And when it came to prayer then, his motives were pure. And so since his motives were pure, and when it came to prayer, his motives were pure, we can follow his example in prayer. And so if what Jesus teaches us is what we do, if he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who do it for attention. When you pray, your motives should be different. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. When you pray, your motives should be knowing your Father. Your motives should be getting to know the one who created you, getting to know your Creator. That's not to say we don't pray when we're in corporate settings. We'll get to that in just a minute. But prayer for us as believers is about knowing our maker. And if you want to know, know how God designed you to be, what better way than to go to the designer? If you want to know what it is that God made you to do and how he made you to live and to thrive and to, to follow him with, with, you know, with the way that he made you, well, why not go to the one who, who drew up the blueprints?
If you want to know what's hanging you up over the years, what, 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 is, the, what is the thing that you keep tripping on and you keep, keeps knocking you down over and over again, and why do you keep tripping on this same thing and, and falling and hitting your face? If you want to know why that is and what it is and, and how to walk in a different way and for God to lead you away from that thing, maybe, maybe go to the designer and, and see what he has to say about it. But we go to prayer, not, not, to, not to be able to brag about later that we spent a lot of time in our closet this week. Not, not to try to just do the right routine and the right formula so that we can get stuff from God. If we, well, if God, Jesus said to go into our closet, if I go in my closet and pray and ask God for what I want in the closet, then God is going to give me what I want. That's not why we pray in the closet either. We pray to know God. We pray so that we can know our maker. We pray to have relationship and communion with the Father. So my first point is this. Prayer is about uniting my heart with the heart of God. Prayer is about uniting my heart with the heart of God. Psalm 62.8 says, pour out your heart before him. There's nothing in your heart that's going to surprise God. There's nothing in your heart that God does not already know. So, so go into the closet or go into your prayer room, and when you pray, when you pray, pour out your heart to God. He, he knows it, but this act of pouring it out to him like we were doing just a minute ago, confessing to him and expressing to him those things that are hanging you up, it's a part of the process of restoring the relationship like we saw in the garden when he started to draw out a confession from Adam and Eve. He, he wanted them to confess for their own benefit so that they could restore the relationship. Prayer is about uniting my heart with the heart of God. And if there's something in my heart that is keeping me from God's heart, then I need to pour that out. I need to deal with that and get it out in the open instead of trying to hide it from God who already sees it so that my heart can be united with his heart. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, Jesus said, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Look at Jesus' concern here with the Pharisees was not what they're teaching. He wasn't concerned with, with that they were teaching the right things. He wasn't even concerned with their actions that they were doing the right things. His concern was with their hearts. They honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. In other words, their hearts were for themselves and not united with the heart of God. God wants our hearts to be united with him. That way, our motives, our ambitions, our desires, our affections are all in line with what he wants for us and what he wants to do through us in relationship with one another. And that happens through prayer. That happens through spending time talking to and listening to your designer. So number one, prayer is about uniting my heart with the heart of God. Number two, prayer can change your circumstances. When you start doing a little bit of research on prayer, you can get to some really interesting ideas on Google, by the way. If you want to, if you want to hear a lot of really out there ideas, uh, uh, go, go search Google for prayer uh, and, and see what comes up. There's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. But prayer can change your circumstances. 
James chapter 4, verse 2 tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. A lot of times we'll take that scripture to mean, okay, well, I want this thing, and the reason I don't have this thing is because I didn't ask God for it, so I just need to ask God for it, and he'll give it to me. Well, that's not really the motive behind that. The, the motive is I, I don't have what God wants for me because I don't ask. I don't have what God wants for me because I don't ask for it, and I'd rather do things my own way. I'd rather get my own agenda through, and I'd rather follow my own path and plan in life. I'd rather do his mission my way than do his mission his way with what he's given me in my life. And so the reason I don't have is because I don't ask, but the, the reality is I, I'm not asking even with the right motive sometimes. But prayer can change your circumstances. Uh, my wife will probably share some of this in the weeks to come, or I hope she will. Uh, but there were a couple of times on our trip where, where we prayed about some things, and our, our actual circumstances that we were in in this trip changed as a result of prayer, especially my wife. If you want, if you want uh, a prayer to be answered, ask Becky to pray for you. But prayer can change your circumstances. It can do that. God wants to move on our behalf. Did you know that? God, God wants to move on our behalf, and he wants to move in your life and through your life. God wants to be actively showing himself and his presence and his power in your life and through your life. He wants you to experience his presence and power in your life and through your life. And he wants others around you to see his presence and his power in your life and through your life. God wants you to, wants to display himself in this way, but there are times that he won't move until we pray. For example, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14 through 21 a little bit following. What you should know leading up to this, this point in the story is that um, Hezekiah has received a letter uh, from, from the Assyrian king. Uh, no, wait, that's not right. Um, from Sennacherib or something like that. That's the guy's name. Sennacherib. Cherub, it just kind of sounds like cherub. Sennacherib, um, and, and he was going to, he's going to come and just basically destroy Israel, destroy the kingdom. And so he's, he, what do we do? What do you do in this situation when you have an ar a king and an army who's already destroyed other, other people around you, other nations around you, and, they're, and they send somebody to say, hey, we're coming for you next? Most of us might probably get the, get the, uh, get the army ready, get the fighters ready, get the warriors ready, but Hezekiah did something different. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. So Hezekiah gets this letter from the messenger saying, hey, we're coming to kill you. And what Hezekiah does is he goes to the temple of the Lord, he takes the letter and just spreads it out before God. And in, in the presence of God, this is what he prayed. Lord, the God of Israel... And thrown between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib, 
has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. And then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I've heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. And then there's some lo a long prophecy in poetry form. And then at the end, it, it explains what's going to happen. Verse 32 it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. In the New American Standard translation, verse 20, it says, because you have prayed, for, prayed to me. God's response, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you have prayed to me, I'm going to do this. You prayed and this is what I'm going to do. He prayed, Hezekiah prayed, and God fought the army. Hezekiah took, took the worry, took the threat, took everything that was concerning him, and he took all the letters and laid it out in God's presence, and God responded by defeating the army with the angel of the Lord and putting them all to death in the camp. They didn't even have to raise a sword to defend themselves. God destroyed the enemy. And it was because Hezekiah prayed. It was because Hezekiah, instead of mounting the army, he went to the great commander. Prayer can change your circumstances. Probably, if he had not prayed, if he had just tried to come up with the best strategy to defend the people, they probably would have been destroyed based on what had happened to all the other people and all the other surrounding nations. But because he prayed... His circumstances changed. Prayer can change your circumstances. Number three, prayer can change your attitude about your circumstances. Prayer can change your attitude about your circumstances. Just like when you spend time with a person, you start to become and think like that person, I think the exact same thing is supposed to happen with prayer. That as we, as we pray and we spend time with God in prayer, what is supposed to happen is, is our minds and the way that we think, our way of thinking, our way of processing, our way of reacting, our way of responding and dealing with everything that happens in our life is supposed to become aligned with God's ways and his higher ways and his plan 
for us in life. And so even when it comes to dealing with difficult things, difficult situations, difficult circumstances, prayer can change our attitude and our way that we walk through them so that we see them from God's vantage point, from his perspective, instead of from our own perspective. So prayer can change your circumstances, but what do we do if we pray and God doesn't change our circumstances? From his book, Draw the Circle, Mark Batterson writes, Sometimes the purpose of prayer is to get us out of circumstances, but more often than not, the purpose of prayer is to get us through them. I'm certainly not suggesting we shouldn't pray deliverance prayers, but there are times we need to pray prevailing prayers. We need to ask God to give us the grace to sustain the strength to stand firm and the willpower to keep on keeping on. There is a big difference between praying away and praying through. We're often so anxious to get out of difficult, painful, or challenging situations that we fail to grow through them. We're so fixated on getting out of them that we don't get anything out of them. We fail to learn the lessons God is trying to teach us or cultivate the character God is trying to grow in us. We're so focused on God changing our circumstances that we never allow God to change us. And so instead of 10 or 20 years of experience, we have one year of experience repeated 10 or 20 times. Sometimes we need to pray, get me out prayers, but sometimes we need to pray, get me through prayers. On the STORIES handout that we passed out at the beginning of this series, the last S in the STORIES acronym for how we change, when we're, when we're looking at the ways that we change, the last S was for struggle. And struggle is a key component for how God shapes us and changes us. We grow through struggle. It's not the only way, but it is a way. Struggle is one of the big ways that we grow and change. But some people struggle their whole lives and never grow. In fact, I've had this experience where, where you run into somebody 10 years later and you, you hear that they're still complaining about the same things they were complaining about 10 years previously. Where, where they're still struggling with the same mindset, the same, the same struggles, the same patterns, the same issues. They've had the same thing year after year after year, and they've never grown through it. And yet at the same time, you might run into others who, who seem to face increasingly insurmountable challenges and never really seem to be phased by them. Right, you have people who, who face challenges and never change, but then you have people who face insurmountable challenges and they don't even seem to be phased by it. Why is that? How does that happen? It's because they pray. It's because they spend time with God every day. They, they let God shape the way they think about their situation instead of let their situation shape the way they think about God. They let God shape the way they think about their situation instead of letting their situation shape the way they think about God. They take their pain 
right to him. So sometimes prayer can change our circumstances, but sometimes what God wants to do is to change us through the circumstances. So if you can't change your circumstances, what if you could change your attitude about your circumstance? What if you knew that there was nothing you could do about the weeds in the garden? We came home from vacation, and the whole garden that's uncovered, we have half of it covered with plastic to deal with the weeds, but the whole garden was covered in weeds. And I was out there all day yesterday working on the weeds and just working through the tomatoes and the corn, you know, and, and trying to get the weeds under control so that we can get the garden back to what it's supposed to be. And out there as I was weeding, I was just constantly trying to remind myself, because the thought always, ah, I hate weeding, stupid weeds, it's just stupid Adam, he had to go and ruin it for everybody, and I, and... But then I just remind myself, you know what, what if, I, what if I just try to change my mindset about weeding? What if every time I, I'm, I'm tempted in my mind to complain about weeding, I stop and I say, you know what, I, I actually like weeding. There's kind of some instant gratification about weeding, that you, you get to pull up a weed and you get to see the effect of it, and as you work your way through the garden, you get to see the progress that you made. I, I kind of like weeding. What if, you, what if you knew that there was nothing you could do about the weeds in your garden, but there was something you could do about your mindset towards the weeds in the garden? What if maybe you can't change your circumstances and the weeds that are coming up in your life, the weeds that are always springing up, that always seem to come back, always seem to haunt you, always seem to fight you, always seem to struggle against you? What if you can't change those, but you can change the way you think about them and how you approach them and how you deal with them? And what if the reason that we never really experience God's peace in the pain, God's peace in the struggle, is because we're asking for God to take it away when what he wants to do is so much greater through the pain? Number four. Our identity, authority, and activity come through prayer. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today. We'll cover this in a little bit more detail later this week. But our identity, our authority, and our activity come through prayer. We see this in Jesus' life. We see this at his baptism, where, where it comes through prayer. And how he used prayer while he was being tempted in the wilderness. It's through prayer and relationship with God that we know who he made us to be. You might not think of that as prayer, but the father is talking to the son. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's communication between the father and the son. That is what prayer is. His identity was confirmed through prayer. It's through prayer and connection with God that we receive authority to be his delegates. And it's through prayer and discernment that we know what to do. In Scripture, especially, you see this throughout the Old Testament, identity precedes activity. The prophets would receive their identity as prophet before they would do anything as a prophet. God wants you to know who you are in him before you do anything for him. So our identity, authority, and activity come through prayer. Number five, this is the last point. God works in other people when we pray for them. 
This is the one I'm fully expecting to see God do some miraculous things in our church in the months, literal months ahead of us, heading into the fall, also throughout the fall and the winter. I am fully anticipating that we're going to see God do some things through our prayers for others. God works in other people when we pray for them. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Being a child of our Father in heaven is dependent on us praying for our enemies and those who persecute us. So our attitude and our mindset, even towards our enemies, even towards the people that would persecute us, and how this would be played out in the church is people were literally persecuted for following Jesus. They were actually beheaded, and they were actually burned at the stake, and they were were dipped in boiling tar and all kinds of horrible things. They were literally persecuted for believing in Jesus, and what Jesus said was pray for them. Don't hurl insults, don't ridicule them, don't don't call down fire from heaven like his disciples wanted to do in one situation, but pray for those who persecute you. In our world of offense and in in our world where we're constantly just trying to balance the scales, those things that are done against us, we have to retaliate against them. What if we what if we set an example and we led the way by following Jesus and praying for the people who offended us? God works on other people when we pray for them. Prayer is personal, but prayer is also corporate. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Notice it doesn't say to pray for your own healing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But when it talks about healing, it's, it talks about corporate prayer, praying together as the body of Christ. Why? Because where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, there he is amongst them. He is amongst us in this moment. So as we're gathered together in his name, he is in our presence in a special and unique way. And so let's pray to God in these moments of corporate unity for prayers of healing and all those kinds of things. Let's just... Let God do what God wants to do for his own glory. God works in other people when we pray for them. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 15. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, the Holy Spirit... He, the Holy Spirit, will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, 
because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. God works in other people when we pray for them. First, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. That's not our job. That's the Spirit's job. But when we pray for those who don't know Christ to come to Christ, the Spirit gets involved in their life and working them. What if the reason that we don't see people coming to Christ in our church and other churches is because we're just not praying for them to come to Christ? What if, we're just, what if we just need to be more faithfully committed to praying for people in our lives who are lost? And what if it's through that prayer that, that God wants to guide them into his truth? And maybe we'll get to be used by God in that process. Not trying to act for the Spirit, not trying to act on behalf of the Spirit to, to convict people and to, to show them how the way they're living is wrong, but just to pray that God will open the eyes of their heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Open the eyes of their heart, how they've been blinded by the prince of this age. But prayer and the Holy Spirit are very clearly intertwined. They're very closely related. And when we pray, we are guided by the Holy Spirit. As we pray, we should seek to be guided by the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit guide our thoughts. Let the Spirit guide our focus. Let the Spirit guide us as, as we walk in relationship with Him. We need to be guided by the Spirit and we need to let the Spirit guide us into the truth and away from deception. And we need to let the Spirit have access to our minds so that, so that the Spirit can actually start to bring up some of those things that we are letting play on repeat in our lives that are dece deceiving us on a regular basis and, and let God deal with them and get rid of them so that he can guide us into the truth and away from these lies. That's his job. But it's also through prayer and the Holy Spirit that we worship. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify, give glory to, worship the Son, worship God, because it is from me that he will receive. Maybe one of the reasons we struggle to worship is because we struggle to pray. One of the reasons we struggle to worship God and to surrender to him and to allow ourselves to express worship and glory and praise to God is because we struggle to pray and we're not used to communicating with him on a regular basis. And so when we gather together on Sunday or when we're, when we're worshiping him privately throughout the course of the week, it just it doesn't feel right because we haven't been guided to worship by the Spirit. What if we just let the, let the Spirit guide us to surrender and submit and, and to worship Him with our whole hearts? 
What if we just trusted that the Spirit was leading us towards the presence of God Almighty and that the Spirit wanted us to come closer and closer in relationship with the Father and that as the Spirit was guiding us, we could trust that He was guiding us in the right direction. And even if that felt like we had to lay some stuff down and to let go of some old things that we've never really let go of, but, but if we let go of them and start to embrace Him in this way, we'll really start to worship as we were designed. Through prayer and the Holy Spirit, we are unified in the truth. There have been so many times in the last several months around the church as as we have been following, seeking to follow God, where, where some things that I have wanted to say have already been being said to people. We saw it a lot with the, with the women's ministry and how God was leading Becky and some of the things that she wanted to bring up and talk about with, with the gather groups and then how God would lead me to those things without me knowing that she was even going to talk about them. And it's not just between Becky and I, but with several others here around the church where, where I would hear people bring up things that, that I was going to be teaching about and, and talking about them as though this was something that God wanted to say and God wanted to address and deal with. It's through prayer and the Holy Spirit that this kind of thing, this happens. And, and what if... What if that, instead of becoming the exception where it just kind of blinds us and we're so caught off guard by it, like, it's so amazing that God would do that. What if that just became normal? What if that just become, became the baseline standard for how we existed as a church? Where we're all following God so closely, where we're all in prayer and constant communication with the Father through the Holy Spirit, and we're just all seeking to know Him more and to be in communion with Him more, that God just seems to tell us all the same thing all the time, and we actually come to church, and if that doesn't happen, that's weird. What would that be like? The relationship that Jesus had with the Father, I mean, there, we, cannot, we can't even cover, cover in, a, in a week all of, the, all of the times and all the different ways that Jesus prayed. There are, there are far too many instances in the Gospels of Jesus praying for us to cover them in one week without, without spending hours and hours every day talking about them. His relationship with the Father happened through the conduit, through the vehicle of prayer. If you need some perspective on your life, if, if you need to see things a little bit differently in your life, if you're struggling with a situation right now, why not get to the one who sits outside of time and space and is not confined by all the things that we're struggling with and let him tell you how to see it? Why not go to him and let him tell us who we are and then tell us what he wants us to do so that we know that we're actually doing what our creator designed us to do? instead of trying to force our own path in our own way. What if, what if this move that God is wanting to see happen in our country of people repenting and turning away from the things that they've embraced and turning towards him is just dependent on us knowing the creator? And what if it's just that God has chosen to use ordinary people like you and me 
people who aren't celebrities, people who don't have any kind of real notoriety. So if, you're, if you have notoriety here, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend you, but, but just, just usual, normal, average, day-to-day people like you and me who aren't trying to become something they're not and prove something they don't have to prove, but all they want to do is they just want to know the Father. And as we become more like him, more people are drawn to him in our lives. I think we would probably go through a lot to be able to meet our favorite celebrity, but what would we go through to spend time with the king of our heart? Would we put in the same effort that we'd put into seeing a celebrity that we would put into uh, our relationship with the Father? How would it change your life? How would it change your day-to-day operations if you sought him with a passion that you've never sought him before? Not for any ulterior motive, but just to know him. I think it would revolutionize all of us, myself included. I think if we just made a daily habit, a daily practice, that's why we're talking so much about habits and practices and and working hard to intentionally incorporate them into our lives with things like a journal. It's not not just so that we can feel good about ourselves or we can feel good because we as a church, you know, we we take it seriously. There's something behind the habit that's important. And the reason we're stressing the habits and, and practices that Jesus did and, and, and that he exhibited in his life is because we want to become like Jesus and it's only by aligning our habits and the things that we do in our life that, and, and accordance with what Jesus did in his life that we're going to become like Christ. And I want to become like Christ. And I want my whole purpose in being the pastor at 6A Church is to help every single person here become like Christ. And so when I'm driven and passionate and excited about helping us go this direction, it's not because I want something from you. It's because I so deeply want for you to become like Christ and for you to be who God designed you to be. And what if we just did it? Like, what if, we just, what if we just shed all of our preconceived notions about what we think church is supposed to be and, and all of the things that, that we bring to church thinking, this is, I just got to have it this way, and if I can have it this way, then I'll be happy, and then we're never happy. What if, we just, what if we just shed all of that junk and put it off to the side, and we just fully embraced becoming like Christ? And what if we, what if we embraced it to the point that we actually started to become like Christ? And we started to look like him to the point where people started to recognize us as those crazy Jesus people. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like, you don't want to go to 6A because that's a bunch of crazy Jesus people over in the 6A church. Yeah. What I said at the beginning, I've never been more convinced that we're doing the right thing than I am now. It's just I, I've seen and experienced what we talked about at the beginning of the series, that bar being so low, where it takes no effort at all to be a Christ follower. Like, I don't even think it would trip you anymore. <laughs> so I, think you, I don't think you even notice that it's there. 
and we're raising the standard, we're raising the bar, and I want us so, I just want us to be a church just sold out for Jesus. I want us to be the, the, the kind of church where we're just, we just, we take it as the most serious thing in our life, not because, not because I, I'm able to convince people and, and argue you into it and convince you to do something that I think you should do, but because we actually know that this is the only eternal thing and that it's through this eternal thing that we actually are going to develop all of the other eternal things. And what if all these other distractions and all these other things that, that Satan would use, that our enemy would use to get us off track and distract us, what if we could, through prayer, start to see them in the right way? What if we could see our jobs in the right way, where, where yes, we should work because God designed us to work, but what if, he, what if we could allow him to help us see the way we work in the right way? That we're not just working so that we can have the things that we want and the life we want, but that we're actually working for a higher purpose and a higher calling. Not to belittle work, because work is good in and of itself. But maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's more to everything in our life. And if we would just trust God through prayer, we'd start to see it. We're going to see it. We are going to see God do some amazing things. I, I have no doubts that, that what God is going to do is going to be eye-opening for all of us. But I will say, the ones who see it will be the ones who are looking for it. Amen. If we want to see it, we need to have our eyes open. The only way to have our eyes open is to be regularly seeking God. And we'll start to see, as we already have, and probably what, what, as we look back several years from now on these moments over the last couple months, we'll look back on them, and, and I think what will happen is our eyes will be like, wow, that was just such, those are so, such small potatoes compared to what was coming. It was big in the moment, but man, what's coming is going to be Amazing. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to have happen in our church. And for the only purpose of glorifying the Father. That at every turn, every corner, every juxtaposition, every view, every angle, it's look at how great God is. Wouldn't that be amazing? <clears throat> Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. We'll get there. Let's stand and pray together. Ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. key component, I think, in prayer is actually rewiring our brain to see things how God wants us to see them. We'll talk about that more this coming week. And I can almost guarantee that every single one of us in this room right now at this moment has a short 
There's something about the way God designed us to work and think and act that's being short-circuited by some kind of deception. God wants to clear the pathways. He wants to give us a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of acting, a new way of being. And we strongly desire to see that in our lives. We want to see that come to pass in our lives, but we keep getting tripped up by something. Something keeps shorting out the circuit. And I fully believe that at this moment and this morning, God wants to deal with that thing. God wants to, God wants to pull out that piece of foil, that piece of garbage that's sitting there and, and wrecking everything and has been wrecking everything. And he wants to draw out from us a confession to him of those things that have been holding us back. And he wants us to confess not so that we can feel guilty, but so that we can be free. So I'm not going to ask anyone to say anything out loud, but I'm going to ask you to take it to God. As we go through this song, as we sing... Refuse to allow yourself to be distracted. Refuse to let anything come between you and what God is wanting to do in your heart. Decide at this moment, before we start singing, that this is going to be time for God to work. This is going to be time for God to deal with something in me. Then after this song, we're going to ask all of our prayer Warriors, all the men and women in our church who stand around to pray after the song, I just ask you to go to your, a spot in the room somewhere. Be ready to pray with people. And if over the course of this song, God brings up something that you would like prayer over, prayer for, prayer for freedom from, victory from, whatever it might be that God brings up, Prayer for peace, prayer for perspective, prayer for strength, prayer for freedom, whatever it might be. In those moments in between these two songs here at the end of the service, I just ask you to, to take a step of faith and have the courage to go and seek prayer. Seek for someone to pray with you over whatever it is that God brings up. Have the courage to take that one small step here in a safe environment, the safe place where you are loved, where you will not be judged, where you will not be condemned, but here where people will support you and encourage you when you seek to get to know God better and get to follow him more according to his ways. Do it here as we gather together this morning and let God do something in your heart that he's wanted to do for years and years. And stop being on that cycle of repeating the same thing year after year and let God start to grow you through it this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask in these moments, I ask for humility on our parts. I ask that any pride that would keep us from letting you work in us, that you would just deal with that, you would squash it, you would destroy it, you would smash it to pieces. I ask, Father, that any reservations we have about letting you speak to our hearts, to our spirits, to the deepest parts of who we are right now in this moment, I pray, Father, that those would be done away with and that we would let you speak clearly 
directly to us. And I pray, Father, those things that you bring up, that as you bring them up, that we would have the courage not only to confess them to you, but to seek you in them. That we would seek to know you more and that through the whole process that we're about to go through, our desire would be to know you, to worship you, to make you known. We invite you now, Father, we invite you now, Spirit, to work. Work in our hearts. Work deeply in us. Change things in us that have needed to be changed for a long time. We give you permission to move freely in our midst and expect that you're going to do amazing things. In Jesus' name, amen.